from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by MasterCard, bridging the wealth gap together with Greenwood. Hey, Money Movers, welcome back to Money Move, the daily podcast determined to give you the keys to the kingdom of financial stability, wealth, and abundance. Our next guest is a well-known artist, designer, and filmmaker. He is one of Chicago's fastest-riding artists, with some of his works commanding upwards of hundreds of thousands of dollars, and a rapidly growing collector base that includes entrepreneurs such as Swiss Beats, Matthew Pritzker, Jay-Z, and yours truly. I'm really proud to say I own a piece of Hebrew Brantley's, one of his incredible Flyboy pieces. So I am so excited to bring you to the Money Moves podcast today and share his work with the world. Welcome to the podcast, Mr. Brantley. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. I'm really good. Well, I'm overjoyed to have you on the podcast. I have been um, diving into art for the past probably decade, seriously, trying to, you know, build a collection and learn about art. Um, So really excited to have you on the podcast today. And I want to start off by um, introducing you to our Money Moves audience and talk a little bit about how you got your start in the art industry. Um, I know there's some people on here that are going to be super excited because we're based in Atlanta and I know you went to Clark Atlanta. Um, Mm -hmm. So let's let's start from there. Well, I went to I went to Clark Atlanta. I studied film um, and. You know, while I was in school, I was doing a lot of interning with different directors and production companies. Um, and, you know, I was, I was working in art departments. I was doing storyboards and things like that. Um, but while I was doing that, I was sort of putting myself through school by doing uh, a series of T-shirts and 
you know, clothing, like hand painted uh, items. And so it, you know, college students, most of them anyway, have disposable income. And so we would set up shop on Clark on Thursday and then at, at Spelman on Friday and, um, and just, you know, sell stuff. And that really helped, you know, sort of start the business engine, but also just helped me realize that I could monetize off of, off of my creative side, you know, off of, you know, artwork. And so it just grew from there. From there, you know, I started to really pursue art, uh, fine art as, as a potential career and, you know, sort of learned about the gallery system, learned how to paint, you know, with different mediums and, you know, just kind of blossomed from there. What's so interesting is, you know, the more and more entrepreneurs that we talk to and have on this, the big ones, the successful ones were like, you know what? I was an entrepreneur from the beginning. So your days at Clark Atlanta, you were like, I was hustling on the street corner, selling my t-shirts, like already, you know, bringing business to art. And I want our listeners, if anyone has one of those t-shirts from those back (laughs) in those days, please tag us because do you still have those t-shirts? Like what, what was the art that you were creating at that time? It was, it was everything. I mean, at the time it was, Muskeen was a really popular brand and there was like a hand painted uh, on, on, you know, t-shirts and a lot of the rappers were wearing them. And so I kind of, and they were all abstract pieces. And so I was Mm -hmm. doing stuff that was a little bit more detailed, more character based, you know, some abstract stuff, to, but not necessarily, you know, sticking in sort of in my own lane, not necessarily stealing off of what they were doing. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, you know, it's, 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 it's an, it's a, a sort of a, I've evolved basically from, you know, doing, you know, character based work now, mm-hmm. but that's sort of where I started. It was like a lot of characters, a lot of appropriation, um, when it comes to like really famous characters, Bugs Bunny, SpongeBob, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So I was doing a lot of that stuff because that's what sold. That's what, you know, everybody was asking for, or, you know, Bob Marley on a shirt or Tupac or, you know, some, some, some notable, notable figure. So comics and anime have played a very big role in your art. I was, as a kid, a huge comic fan. I've seen you shout out Calvin and Hobbes. I say that wrong because I'm Canadian. I know it's Hobbes, but you know <laughs> what I'm talking about. Um, how, how has your art sort of evolved? You know, you talked about, you know, bringing in what people wanted so that you were sort of serving your audience. But talk about, you know, your true passion for bringing these characters to life. Well, I mean, I think, you know, the evolution always starts with the artist first, the creator. And I think as I've grown, so have these characters. So has my understanding of what high art is um, and also how to sort of bring about different narratives and, you know, how to use these characters, you know, and, and, and tell certain tales and stories and, you know, you know, get these, these ideas across. And I think, you know, it, it, it always starts with the creator first. And so for me, that's, Mm -hmm. that's always been very true. And, um, you know, I, I'm, you know, I, I get bored, you know, you can't, mm. you can't do the same thing every day. Can't be like McDonald's, right. You have to evolve mm-hmm. your taste and your palate. And so, you know, I think that as I've grown older, like I want to, you know, not only evolve in my studio practice, but show that evolution, show that growth within the work and how the work is presented, um, you know, as, as it pertains to, you know, my shows and galleries, et cetera. So, you know, it's, it's a natural evolution, I think. Oh, it's, it's some beautiful, beautiful work. So let's, um, 
I want to talk about Flyboy and Little Mama because this is sort of some of your iconic pieces that you know started um, you know from street graffiti to these giant monolithic pieces that you've seen installed in Chicago across the world. It's such an interesting evolution to me, and I love them because they're super empowering. It's kind of like this super power that you've created for you know black culture as well. Um, talk a little bit about how you made this brand so successful. It was by accident, um, to be honest with you. You know, it was just, um, you know, in my early years of painting and creating, I, I was, you know, a lot of the work had heavy, it was, it was, it was very heavy handed in its approach and it had a lot of angst and, you know, um, mm. and that was a part of who I was, but that wasn't all of who I was. And I think that mm-hmm. you know, once I started to really lean into the things that I loved and, you know, uh, really tapping into who I was at this, as a creator, um, these characters sort of, you know, came about and it wasn't intended to be a thing that, you know, had legs. It was like, let me try a mm. thing and, and mm-hmm. you know, speak from a certain, you know, place and then I'll move on. And, you know, as, as you do as an artist, but I, I noticed that, um, you know, as people were coming to these shows, I noticed there was an expectation to, see these characters you know they became very mm-hmm. you know um uh sort of you know they became greatly appreciated by an audience that was both you know young and older and um i just noticed that there was something there so you know i continued to just explore that narrative and those narratives and just to see how many ways in which i could reshape and rethink um you know these creations with these characters i you know i i i I mention all the time that, you know, I kind of looked at um, like Family Circus, Peanuts, Calvin and Hobbes, mm-hmm. Hobes, you know, if you're in Canadian, if you're in Canada. <laughs> uh, I just say things wrong on this podcast all the time. <laughs> but, uh, but I had every book. I was yeah. obsessed. But, you know, with those, again, those are very dependent upon its creator, right? And how the creator mm-hmm. feels. And when you look at like Charles Schultz and the Peanuts and how you know, a lot of these younger kids were dealing with sort of adult angst and real situations and, 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 and their way of sort of filtering, you know, that through and understanding it. Mm-hmm. I thought that there was a strength in that. And I, I wanted to take that approach with high art, you know, cause I'd never seen that done before. So that sort of became my way, you know, um, and, and has sort of, you know, led me obviously here, but yeah. Also, what's really interesting and a lot of our audience always wants to know is, you know, how we did this. And one of the things that stood out in the very beginning, you mentioned, hey, I had to study the business, the business of art, how you make, how artists become famous when they're alive and, you know, galleries, et cetera. So what was it that you realized you needed to crack in this industry? Because it's hard to break through. It's hard to get representation. It's hard to, you know, get your art out there where people want to buy it. And I don't want people to think that you, and maybe this could be true, did you find that you became more famous because your art started in getting into the hands of people like Jay-Z, you know, big popular collectors, or had you already sort of cracked the gallery system? No, I mean, you know, it's sort of a two, two part question, but I think the first part was, you know, playing in the system, doing the things that I was told was sort of the right way you know, and mm-hmm. it's, this is the, the quote unquote blueprint. But then I slowly found that, you know, 
listen, there's a, a, a million blueprints, right? There's a thousand different ways to make a house. And so um, mm -hmm. that blueprint wasn't working for me. And so I pulled away from the gallery system and that sort of traditional way in and created my own system. I really, you know, I'm a huge fan of hip hop. And like, I looked at mm -hmm. a lot of guys, like, you know, I mentioned, you know, selling clothes on Clark's campus. I, yeah. My table was yep. right next to DJ Dramas, you know, and, and Drama was selling his mixtapes. And this was before Gangster Grills, but he was selling mixtapes. Wow. Thinking about that motto of like out the trunk, you know, a lot of guys like, you know, I'm from Chicago, you know, south side of Chicago around that same time, you know, guys are pumping mixtapes in the streets. And it's this guy, Kanye West. And you're like, who the hell is Kanye West? Yep. But, you know, the world soon found out. But starting at a street level, utilizing what you have to get what you want. And so for me, it was like, I know enough people like to, um, you know, put on an art show myself. I, I can totally do this. I can rent a spot. I can, you know, borrow bag still ask for, you know, placement here, do this. And then I control everything. I control my narrative. I control my audience and on the whole thing. And so I, I, I really went that way first. Um, but with the second part of your question, I think that like, as I did that and that hustle and mm -hmm. entrepreneurial spirit, I got, you know, I was fortunate enough to meet a lot of good people and people, you know, industry folks. And, um, but I, you know, I always had a, you know, a degree of separation between a lot of these people anyway. Um, and so, you know, I just sort of utilized and called on those, those folks that knew other folks, right. To just tap in yeah. and, it just became a thing. And I think by the time, you know, I started to get some, 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 you know, big names collecting my work, you know, I was already coming up, but I think that, you know, those folks, those bigger folks, their audience started to kind of pay attention to art, you know, right. the Melo Anthony's, yep. the, the Swizzes, the, the Jays, the Beyonce's, you know, all of these people. So it, it definitely helped of course, but I don't think that it was sort of the, uh, you know, the, 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 the biggest Catalyst. tipping point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I mean, I just want to remind our audience, what's really interesting is like this started in college hustling yeah. on tables. And, you know, oftentimes I think people are like, Oh, I need this mentor. I need someone at the top to pull me up. It feels like, you know, you talk about DJ drama, you guys all sort of built up together. So I also want people to understand the people around you help build you. In your present day, it's not always like, oh, you know, I reached out to Barack Obama and he showed <laughs> my art, you know? You you came up with the people that were around you, whether they were selling mixtapes, building art, and I think that's a beautiful thing about how we really build and build success in this community. Yeah, I mean, at the time, you know, I didn't, again, we talked the blueprint method, the mentor method. I didn't, I didn't have those people around me because there wasn't a mm -hmm a sort of archetypal version of the thing that I wanted to become, right? That 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 looked like me or culturally, you know, came from the same place that I did. So, I mean, there were obviously, you know, successful black artists, but they felt so unobtainable and so, so unreachable mm -hmm. that, you know, I, again, that's like, you know, again, that's like trying to go to a Barack Obama, <laughs> right? Like jump the line. Yeah. So that's how I yeah. felt at the time. So it was just like, you know, looking at, to your point, looking at those around me that are successful mm -hmm. and they're doing things, how they're doing it, why are they successful, you know, implementing some of their habits because, you know, it's, it does become, you know, very habitual. Like you, you yes. start to implement these habits and 
you know, it's, it's the, like every successful person shares that sort of common thread of, you know, these different habits that they implore day to day to, mm-hmm. you know, to, to, to sort of keep things going. So I want to talk a little bit, get a little bit more granular as we talk about, you know, building out a brand too. So not only have you had big names that have, you know, acquired your pieces, they might share them. It sort of brings your work to be a little bit mainstream. You've also collaborated with brands like Nike, Hublot, Adidas. How did those come about? And as, you know, for artists that are trying to really break into that, those areas, is there any tips that you can offer how to's? Secrets. Um, I mean, a, a lot of them came about through relationships. You know, relationships are everything in this in this industry. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, it was just getting to know the people, the players at you know different marketing agencies, at the different companies. Um, you know, making my face known at certain events or my name known. And honestly, there wasn't a, a sort of a one you know way a prescription to doing that it was literally you know baby steps you know for a while mm-hmm. i just had the determination to make it and i didn't really know what that was i just know that like i could quantify success by mm-hmm. um you know more so just from from a financial standpoint right like going from broke yeah. to actually having and making making a thing that people wanted or being able to monetize off of my gift that to me was making it right at the time mm. and and so you know with that for me it was like i didn't have a way that i understood so i'm like well shit i'm not going to turn down anything but my collar right so as opportunities mm. came you know and and to be honest 60 70% of them were bad you know what i mean but i took them because it just allowed you never oh, knew. Oh, but you got to say that again. Like sometimes people are so worried. Oh, if I take the wrong opportunity, but you got to test the waters. Like you got to do have to follow your gut. But some of them aren't going to be good. But you got to take those leaps. Sometimes you have to take the leaps because you never know who's going to be in that room or who's going to see the thing yep. that you did and and how it's going to resonate with them and what could come from it. And so for me, I just did that. You know, it was like a lot of nights. I mean, hell, I would take live painting jobs at nightclubs, right? Which is like the most worst bass awkward thing ever because <laughs> you're painting in a dark nightclub around drunk idiots that are tripping <laughs> over you and asking you dumb questions like, what are you doing painting? Um, and, you know, it's just, but again, like th- some of those nights actually, you know, I learned that like, okay, they're going to pay me X to make this painting. I know if I finish this painting within a certain amount of time, I know the demographic of this club and I could probably sell yeah. this painting for why. Right? Yeah. And drunk people and buy stuff. You never know. They do. And at that time it was just <laughs> like, listen, I'm, you know, I wasn't too concerned about the collection it was going in. These are paintings I'm creating in a dark nightclub. I was concerned about eating and surviving. So, you know, yep. you know, as like a 21 year old kid, I'm just like, you know, I need to get these pieces off. And so again, you know, creating an opportunity whenever I could was sort of my way. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. 
Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You talked about this idea of like going to broke to, to wealth. And on this podcast, we talk about generational wealth. How has your perspective changed? You've been a couple decades in the game right now. Um, when you think about, you know, little Hebrew Brantley... <laughs> The kid that loved comics and stuff. Talk about, you know, that child and what he thought was going to be wealth and success. And have you achieved it or it's just a never ending level up? Well, I think, I mean, first of all, little Hebrew Brantley is still like big Hebrew Brantley. They're still kind of the same person because I don't know if I've ever fully matured past 12 years old. Um, I still get, you know, 
<laughs> get I just have more, you know, resources and and access to uh, the things that I really like. Um, Bigger and funner stuff. That's it. Um, but yeah. I think I think for me, I don't know if it's. I mean, obviously, you know, the financial is is a part of it. But I think for me, it's now about you know the level of fulfillment that I get by doing certain things, right? And these there's there's always been you know, a laundry list of things that I want to do. And, and, and it can, the list continues to grow as I evolve, right. As an mm-hmm. artist, as a creator. And so, you know, as opportunity comes, yeah, I want to do this. You know, I've always wanted to direct a feature film. I've always wanted to do commercials. I've always wanted to do this and do this and do this. And so I think for me, it's, it's about creating those opportunities and, you know, it's not necessarily about the financials attached at this point. It's more about you know, what can I do? How can I, you know, how can I evolve and, and mm. go beyond this thing that I've done? How can I one up myself? You know, it's, 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 it's that constant, you know, need to, to create constant need to be doing within the space that like mm-hmm. fuels me now where it's not, again, the money, I think if, if, if I thought about, doing certain things only because of what the dollar attached to it is. Mm-hmm. I, I think the work and everything would suffer. I think, you know, I wouldn't be here as long as I've been here. But for me, it's about mm-hmm. the opportunity, the things that I take on are the things that I want to do, the things that I'm passionate about. Um, and so, you know, it allows me to think about the artistry of it first before I'm thinking about the money or the compensation. Um, and so that's sort of, you know, how I look at things now where it's like, you know, creating more opportunity for me to do more, to grow, to grow more, you know, in the creative space and, and know that like, if I do my job, if I give it everything I've got, that that the compensation is going to come, you know, it's, it'll find. I love this because it is the secret, right? And it's also, it's a secret and it's a gift. Because you have this, you know, incredible talent that fuels you, fills you up. It literally will keep have you being able to dream, put it onto paper, create, etc. But I think a lot of people listen, and you know, they look past. Well, of course, you can say that when you have some money, right? That I don't think about the money, but it is so true, and so many people say that all the time. Like, if you can put the money aside and understand that it's just energy, it will fuel you to like build on your passions, build out your dream, and wake up every day going, "Okay, I am definitely on the right path," and it comes. It's 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 so tr- it is true. It's yeah. It's like a tenant of life. <laughs> um. But I think one of the beautiful things is being able to connect to that and find things that really fuel you in that way. Um, Hebrew, you talked a little bit about one of your dreams being filmmaking. You obviously went to school as a filmmaker and you just made one of your dreams come true. And you did a feature film with, was it Netflix? So I did a short film with Netflix. Uh, they had a program, the mm-hmm. emerging, uh, it's like emerging filmmakers program. And uh, I was lucky enough to be, you know, selected for that. They picked three directors um, for the first round, and I was one of them. So it was it was really great. But you know, it was a great it's great experience because it was an opportunity. Though it was a short film, it was an opportunity to make mm-hmm. a thing at a studio level. So you get to sort of see what wow. you know what you know a feature would feel like. You know, it's just obviously a shorter amount of days, but you know, at a higher budget and you know, again, dealing with a real studio. So it was, it was a great, great, great moment. 
do you see yourself, you know, transitioning into doing more, maybe full length films? Um, did it really spark, spark something special for you? Yeah. I mean, you know, I think that I've always, you know, we talk about, we've talked about the, the archetype, the person that, you know, looking for the version of who I sort of want to be. And, you know, one of the mm-hmm. artists that I really admire, um, or two are, you know, like Steve McQueen, who, you know, mm-hmm. was a photographer first. And obviously, you know, his his photography evolved into filmmaking. And then, you know, Julian Schnabel, who is a, a pretty well-known uh, New York-based artist, you know, he was, um, you know, gaining his acclaim around the time of Basquiat and Warhol and, that, you know, mm-hmm. that movement in the 80s. Um, but, you know, looking at how they're able to sort of balance the artistry as well as, you know, um, in, in, in both in both parts of the medium, right? Like in, in, in their fine art or in Julian's case in the fine art as well as in film. And for me, you know, I, I'm a storyteller. I, I, I appreciate, you know, I appreciate stories. I appreciate narratives. I always have. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, it's something that I've always wanted to participate in. And I feel like, you know, I come from a visual medium already and, you know, being able to have the opportunity to tell stories from the other sort of, you know, stance of, you know, obviously as Hollywood is sort of evolving now, we're getting mm-hmm. more opportunities, more bites at the apple to tell original stories. And so, you know, I relish in the opportunity to to continue to do so. I mean, I got to make a short film with Netflix, uh, basically Gremlins with Black folks, right? And the the again, the twelve year old me has always wanted to see something like that. Um, and and with that, I got to work with Jim Henson in their Creature Shop. Uh, you know, to, wow. help, to help create the characters. So you know, it, it, these aren't opportunities that I take lightly. And 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 I know that again, it's it's working out to get to a bigger space and a bigger stage to do, you know, some bigger films, but that also doesn't mean that I'm, I'm stepping away from fine art. You know, that's, that's my, that's my heart. That's my, you know, Mm -hmm. my sacred space. And so, you know, I just want to evolve as an artist and be able to, you know, bounce between a few different mediums. Well, I want to make sure our audience knows. Please tell us the film so that they can check it out on um, Netflix. It's called Erax. Um, it's on okay. Netflix. It's E-R-A-X. And give us a little quick synopsis. A negligent aunt missed her niece's birthday. She finds a book in one of those sort of little public street libraries. You take a book, leave a book. And the book is, <gasps> it's a cursed book. And um, she reads the story to her niece and these creatures come out, they have, you know, a certain amount of time to get the creatures back in the book or they become creatures themselves. Ooh, I love this. I love, you know, fantasy, especially if you grew up on comics and stuff. I love this other worlds, the possibility of magic and other creatures. Mm -hmm. So I love that you're bringing this in, especially for, you know, people of color. Yeah. You know, all our fairy tales were very much just white forward. And so now we have this idea to like be able to branch off into these other alternate magical worlds or Afrofuturism. So that sounds really great. Yeah, I think, you know, for me, I really want to normalize that. You know, I have daughters and as they grow up in, in, in this in this 
and and you know their version of this world and as the world you know reshapes and and i want that to be a normal thing to see us to see people that look like them in these types of films because i think that you know by and large we don't necessarily we people of color don't participate in those mm -hmm. films because you know mm -hmm. it's there's a detachment right we don't see ourselves in those roles and in those spaces and so we don't gravitate towards those science fiction films, towards those fantasy films. I'm not saying we we don't, period, but I think that, you know, we, we tend to it's go... It's not as mainstream in our community, exactly. I feel like. It's, it's, it's a little bit niche. There's like, oh, you're the, you know, quirky, geeky girl that was reading sci-fi, or, you know, maybe... It was it was frowned upon because it was a little anti-religious to have these weird things. I, I don't know what it is, but I think it it, it wasn't it was a bit more niche. Mm -hmm. And I love that you know when you look at it from the perspective of your daughters and raising these young women, you're like all of this is possible. You can dream it up, and we can you know put it on film, and it's a beautiful thing. Absolutely, absolutely. So more of that more of that to come more of that um i would be remiss you know in the last couple of minutes if we didn't talk about what's next for you when you say more of that um you know as your little hebrew brantley dreaming again what is next next is you know more more shows um i just opened a show in new york um at uh, a gallery in soho um and you know, we'll have a few shows to close out the year and then, you know, um, more art, more, more film, you know, and some other side projects that y'all just have to wait to find out about. <laughs> but, okay. But, um, but yeah, I think, you know, those are the sort of the two things that are, you know, very visible on the horizon, um, working, grinding, painting and writing. So I love it. Okay. Well, make sure, um, tell us a little bit about the show in New York. Uh, so everyone can make sure they check it out. Is it a solo exhibit or are you there with somebody else? It's all me. Um, yeah. Solo dolo. Wow. So it's, um, it's called, it's called dark fiction, uh, um, flowers and frogs. It's, um, it's, it's a bit of a departure from, I think a lot of the work that people, um, would normally sort of recognize me for, um, you know, it, it, it speaks to, you know, the treatment of the black body. Um, mm. and you know, I'm, I'm sort of doing a comparison to, uh, black and brown folks to, to flowers, you know, this, um, this, this thing that's sort of, you know, nurtured and, you know, cared for and, 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 and grown and, you know, at the same time used for, you know, um, enrichment and you know all these wonderful things but at the same time can mm -hmm. be sort of uh you know dismissed trampled upon um Dispo disposable disposable right? mm. yeah very very disposable yeah. so yeah. just drawing correlation between that and um you know in my way and um you know it's a, it's a i think it's a pretty interesting study and you know it's it's sort of the beginning of something you know it it as as i was going through the pandemic and creating the work obviously with everything going mm -hmm. on, it was a very, very, you know, very heavy time for everybody, but, you know, more especially, you know, us, man, our people. And um, for me, it was just really important to use my platform to say more than what I felt like I was um, in, in, mm. in, 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 in the past. And so, you know, I kind of just, I got very um, sort of locked in on these ideas and really needed to get them out. And so that's sort of what this show revolves around. And the idea of dark fiction is like, 
you know, obviously it's our fiction, um, and it's not necessarily a bleak. I mean, there can be a bleak bleakness to it, but it's also, mm-hmm. you know, it's a beauty to it. But you know, as as I again, as I kind of came up, I used to read like old serial, you know, magazines, and you know, the thing that they had in them was like, you know, these different stories, but typically the the theme is sort of tied together, right? Different narratives, but uh, mm-hmm. a theme that sort of you know, it's, it's an underlining thing. And so I, I try to do that with this show and sort of keep the theme very clear and, 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 and prominent throughout, but being able to say different things and go different places with the work. Well, I love that. Make sure you guys check it out. It's in New York, Richard Beaver's gallery. He always has some really incredible shows that come through there. So congratulations. My last question. Um, I dabble a lot in NFTs in this Web3 world. And so we've had a lot of NFT artists on here as well. Is that something that you're considering? What are your thoughts? We want to know the the true Hebrew Brantley download on NFTs and, and and if you think it'll impact your art. Well, I, I honestly, I mean, it was such a new thing and it was, you know, it was happening mm-hmm. so fast. Um, it just, it honestly took me a long time to sort of download and understand what the hell was going on, you know, what, what it was. And so, you know, I think that it's still very much in its early stages, but, you know, I've gotten yeah. to yeah. a place now. I was going to say, you are not late. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it is just getting started. Very true. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, now that, you know, I've had time to you know, talk to experts, talk to folks that are, you know, in this space day to day, you know, know the ins and outs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's still a bit of the wild west, but now I'm at a place where I'm, I'm, I'm interested and I'm, I'm, we're, we're, we're working on a few things that, um, you know, we'll be putting out, you know, within the next couple of months, hopefully, um, as like an, you know, an introduction for my work in that space. Great. We'd love to see you in the digital NFT arena. (laughs) That would be incredible. That would be really good and very exciting. Okay. Well, Mr. Brantley, it has been great, great chatting with you. We know where to find you. We're going to keep looking out for upcoming projects, whether they're on screen in the metaverse or in Brooklyn, where we can check out some of your pieces. My last question for you is very, very easy. Um, if you could tell us what your most significant piece sold was, the one that you always think about and that, you know, sort of taps into, wow, I've really made it. Well, that's a really good question. I don't know if there's just one, but I think the one that really meant a lot um, mm-hmm. that Jay got, Jay-Z, um, and just what that meant to me at the time what that still means to me now mm-hmm. and you know what the piece meant right and i remember you know creating that piece and you know it's it was very serendipitous. did you create it as a, a commission for no, him no, or no, you no, just were all. working I mean, on it and he had wow it was a piece mm. that you know um kind of happened it was a you know it was very energy inspired it was like one of those things where like something was sort of channeling through me it was a piece that i i, I literally mm. did in, in in one night you know and um it was something very unique to anything i had ever done before and yeah and and that ended up being the one that they they got and then you know it lived in the offices in the the um, rockefeller, records. rockefeller thank you i don't know it lived in their their mm-hmm, offices mm-hmm. um as like the first thing you saw you know so as people would go through, you know, famous and otherwise, I would get tagged in that photo. Wow. Just, you know, the eyes that were able to see this piece. And, you know, it felt like 
it was in a museum as far as I was concerned, because a lot of, you know, folks that I looked up to, folks that I respected, my, my, my contemporaries, you know, got mm-hmm. a chance to view that piece live and in, you know, in person. And it just meant a lot. It meant the world. And so, yeah, I think that one is probably leading, leading the pack um, in terms of, you know, most significant. Wow, that is special. And I mean, it's just a beautiful thing when you tell the story. You're like something about that piece of work when you were working on it. You were just channeled. You were just in the zone. So that's a great story. Thank you so much, Hebrew. Thank you so much for sharing, coming on the Money Moves podcast. Can you let our audience know where they can reach you on social media and or on your website to purchase your art, what galleries represent you, et cetera? I'm, I'm Hebrew Brantley on everything. That's H-E-B-R-U Brantley. Um, on everything. And, um, you know, I, I don't have, I mean, aside from the, uh, the show that I'm doing with Richard Beavers in Soho in, in New York, um, my other gallery representation is just in, in, in Japan. So, uh, that's Nanzuka gallery. Um, and then otherwise just, you know, at Hebrew Brantley, you know, hit DM, hit the DM. Let me know what you need. There you go. There you go. Always hustling. That's how you make your money move folks. And I implore you, you know, art is something really special to me. It's become, you know, an expression of myself and desires. So find artists that you love, find artists that you want to support and collect. It's a beautiful thing to come home to the piece that I have in your, in my house. (laughs) It just makes me smile and it just, it gives me wings. So I appreciate you. We thank you. And we hope that you continue to create and, you know, um, go beyond for our community. So thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. All right, money movers. That's all the time we have for today, but make sure to follow Hebrew on all his social media handles. And if we have helped you make your money move, please make sure to let us know by sending us a like, sharing the knowledge and or leaving us a review on Apple podcast and make sure to tune in Monday through Friday and subscribe to the money moves podcast powered by Greenwood so that you too can have the keys to financial freedom. You so rightly deserve. Money Moves is an iHeartRadio podcast powered by Greenwood, executive produced by Sunwise Media Inc. For more podcasts on iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare the black effect presents family therapy and i'm your host elliot connie Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's brand new season two. 
I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Pereira. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.